So, Father, we affirm who we are in you. Thank you for your presence here by your Spirit. Thank you for what you have already begun. Thank you that you're going to continue that work of grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. Can we welcome Simon Foster as he comes now? Can I so encourage you? You know, Simon talks a different language. But amazingly, right now in this moment, you all have the gift of interpretation. Because as you listen, not just with your mind, but with your spirit, I'm trusting and believing for God to do a deep work. So, Simon, it's really great to have you with us. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you. It's nice to be with you. In fact, at my age, it's nice to be anywhere. So, I wonder if I could just invite you to pause for a moment. We stand or sit in the presence of the most excellent of excellent people whose sole desire is not that we function better or even that we have a fabulous adventure, as great as that may be, but his one intentionality from beginning to end is that we would know him. And the Apostle Paul opens up his heart and discloses what his priority is. He says, I long to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. What would that look like? To live with the constant reality of that kind of potent power and fellowship in his sufferings. I think sometimes we try to do the fellowship in his sufferings without the power of the resurrection. And yet we sing about power. And yet for many of us, it's an elusive thing. But it comes not from the place we think it comes from. It comes out of knowledge. It doesn't come out of education. It comes out of revelation. And the most important thing that you will carry through your life is not what you learn at a seminar. That could be good. Hopefully it might be today. But who he is for you. Everything is about that. What he has shown you, what he has revealed to you, what he has disclosed of his nature and his character are simply the most profound things. And they're the only thing we have to minister with. And it's the only place we can minister from. I can't give away what I haven't got. So let me ask you some questions. Is there anyone in the room who's discovered that he is the most beautiful saviour? Not because you have a theology or a philosophical ideology about that, but something happened to you that changed everything about Jesus regarding your life. Who can testify to that? You don't know that you didn't get that because you were clever. Or even because you were intentional. Because most of us, we slip into eternal realities almost seemingly accidentally. But God is always purposeful at just the right time to speak just the right word in just the right way that we could hear and experience just the right thing, which is his love and delight in us. How many of us know him as the father we've been searching for? Some of you are still searching. That's okay. It's good to search. One of the most liberating things to know is that dad's in control of everything. He simply has got the whole world in his hands. And that includes you. And your little life and your incredible sense of unworthiness and all of the things that sometimes you present to him and protest too much about, there's simply nothing to him because his heart, his passion is just to be with you and to remind you consistently just how precious you are to him. You see, Jesus didn't come to save us from our sins. He came to bring us home to him. And it's important to think like that and orientate our lives like that 
Because if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of the one thing that's more important than anything. That we are the most privileged people on earth to have a relationship with simply the most intelligent person in this room. His name is Jesus Christ. So I've been asked to come and talk to you about some things that I think I've learned along life's journey. I hope they'll be of value to you. I've asked this young man to play in the background because, well, I like a bit of atmosphere. And because you didn't bring it, I decided to create it. (laughs) We're back at the beginning, and I think beginnings are always important for us to identify things from. We've got to look at the intentionalities of God from his perspective. We find ourselves stumbling into the story of man and God in a man called Moses, who of all his credibility with leadership and effectualness in the world around him, found himself to be completely and utterly smitten by the God who delighted in him. And it would say of Moses that he would steal away from his other priorities to his one greatest priority and he would be in the presence of God. And people testified of Moses that he would come out of that meeting place, that place of encounter where heaven touched earth and transformed everything in him and his face would glow. And the people would say, Moses has been in the presence of the Lord. If you come with me to the New Testament, you'll hear a similar echo about the disciples of Jesus Christ. They were not learned or scholarly men, but people testified to them, surely these people, these men have been with Jesus. Our greatest priority is to be who God has called us to be. And you may have dreams and visions and all kinds of ideologies about what that priority should look like, but actually his priority is that you would know him. And right back at the beginning of the relationship, he sets that up very clearly for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, In his promise to humanity, such will be the work of my spirit in your life, that at some point you'll recognize that you love me with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes a load off for me. Because sometimes I have thought foolishly that I could produce that by effort. And I've realized some things as I've walked with Jesus for 32 years now that God will do through delight what I could never produce through duty. That God will do through wonder what can never become a reality through works. It's his great delight to reveal himself to us. So you're here. You're here at this moment where we're starting to think together about our future and starting to think together about what it looks like for us to be an effectual people in a world that seems so void of hope. Could we not be the people that carry the greatest hope of all? And that hope is based not on our ability to change humanity. Our hope is built on something far more solid than that. It's built on the promise of God to abide with us to such a place where at some point in our lives we start to recognize his presence has changed everything. There's a wonderful phrase in the New Testament. It says, greater is he who is in me than anything that I face in this world. And that is the priority of God. So your problems and your difficulties, if you look a little closer in them, you'll find that there's some promises because there are upgrades in the kingdom of God to be had if only our perspective was clearer about the intentionality of God. And to know him is to be transformed by him. And to be transformed by him gives us authority to transform everything through the power of his spirit at work in our lives. So this is not a commandment, it's a commitment. 
God is saying, I'll abide with my people. And the reason I believe that to be the case is it comes after a series of events where God proved himself to the people of Israel. There were plagues and pharaohs and all kinds of problems and difficulties prior to these promises. And so God is not putting in some house rules. You do this and I'll do this. He's simply saying, my intentionality, before we go any further with this, Moses, and my people is simply this. I will be with you until such times as you become like me. I will abide. I will reside. I will orchestrate all things pertaining to life and transforming power, not through the effort that you offer, but through the promise that I give. Now, when we think this through, we find ourselves, well, I do anyway, stumbling into a scripture that sounds like it has the echo of this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it tells us something about the end result of that promise. It says that the church of Jesus Christ found themselves in a place where they overcame by the blood of their lamb and the word of their testimony. And so can I just highlight a couple of truths here for us. The world we're living in, and you'll be sharper than I am with this, is fastly moving towards greater chaos. We have never seen times of of great disorder and disunity in the planet that we live on than the one we live in now. And I want to promise you something because I read my Bible. That's not going to get easier. But the wonderful thing is the church is going to get clearer. It's going to become clearer about who they are. It's going to become clearer about who God is. It's going to become clearer about the things that God believes he, he can do in us and through us. In a world that's so chaotic and hopeless, we will become simply the brightest stars on the planet. It says that the glory of the latter house will far surpass that of its former glory. And many of the church would like to go back to Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, where the baby church and the infant church experience the power of the Spirit. But in comparison to the end time church, that church is very pale. Because such is the work of the Spirit in your life, such is the promise of God to you, that He will work in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your community to such a point where you will love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, this could never be produced by human effort. It can only be produced by God. Wouldn't it be like God to invite us to something that was impossible and then to offer us his incredible help to journey into the impossibilities that become ours because they're promises from him? It says they got to a point in the book of Revelation in the midst of chaos and anarchy, and that's where this is heading, where they love not their lives even unto death. Well, I find that hard to stomach sometimes because the church seems to love its life more than it loves its Christ. Sometimes our greatest priority is the trinity of me, myself, and I, and not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that really helps me and encourages me sometimes when I start to view that from God's perspective because this is not human. This has to be a supernatural thing that God does in the hearts of our lives. Is there anyone here who visits the Trinity of me, myself, and I quite regularly? Don't lie in the presence of God. The word of their testimony that it speaks of here is not something that happened to them 20 years prior to this. Because our testimony is not our history. It's not who we used to be. Our testimony is who we are becoming. It is who God is to us currently. And if we don't know who God wants to be for us currently, then we might miss some treasure from heaven. 
we might not be in step with the work of the Spirit in our lives to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that phrase, greater is he that is in me than in the world, becomes something of a parody or even a soundbite without any reality. So the goal of my conversation is to help you partner with the Holy Spirit to you get to a place where I believe the invitation lies bare for all of us, that we will find ourselves absolutely in a place of utter surrender and delight and submission and passion and desire and fullness in God. Wouldn't that be the most influential thing you could offer the people that you minister to? That people would say of you, as they said, of the disciples and of Moses, surely this person has been with God. So that's my little journey. And to do that with you in the short time I have, I want to take you to some principles I think will help that process become a little clearer for us. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 51. There's a man that I admire greatly in the scriptures called David. Of all men, he had two qualities that I think stand out. He was a warrior and he was a worshiper. And if there ever was a a justification for spiritual masculinity, this probably would be it. Now, please don't get offended if you're female. That doesn't mean God hasn't got priorities and promises. But sometimes in our world where masculinity is confused with a whole variety of things, it's good to go back to the scriptures and see what the Spirit of God values the most. And you'll be surprised it's not expertise on the football pitch. Or even that your six-pack, or in my case, your keg, have become visible to the world. There's something about David that God finds very attractive. Because David caught something of the heart of God for his life. And in fact, everything David did, as you go through his story, he did out of revelation. He did out of a knowledge of God's nature and character. We all love the story of taking down Goliath. But you see, all David was simply doing was what he had always done. (laughs) He was being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I can't overemphasize the importance of that. I know for some of us in this room, we perhaps think the Holy Spirit is optional to the journey. Like when you buy a car and you get a walnut dashboard or leather seats. But you simply can't be who you're created to be without the one who created you abiding inside of you. It would be impossible for us to become those people by human effort or energy. It's not by might or your power, but by his spirit that all things become possible to us. So I love David. But David, in his worshipping warrior manliness, does as all of us do. He kind of goes off track. And um, he does it gloriously. And I I do say, if you're going to sin, do it gloriously. I mean, why sin partially? Let's be honest. And the wonderful thing about that is it just builds your testimony. (laughs) It's who God has become for you. It's who God is becoming for you in those moments. So I find Christians very safe, and uh, clearly you can tell I'm not. If you're going to do it, do it. 
In fact, I think Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. So he finds himself in a place he never expected to find himself in. And he has no idea how he got there. He's ended up having a man killed and he's taken this man's wife for himself sexually. And suddenly there's a moment of clarity and reality where the prophet comes to him and exposes some of the issues of his heart. And this man that once burned so passionately for God and his priority was not to take the life of the king who was indeed trying to kill him, kill someone just for personal gratification and satisfaction. It would seem to me that David was up himself in the Greek. And after those kind of orientations, there's always some reorchestrations of the realities and the clarities of God. Have you noticed that? God loves to help us see that we're his and he can help us through our brokenness into his beauty. Is anybody at all understanding anything I'm saying? I'm just checking. So he comes home. He comes home to his God. He comes home to his love. He comes home to his delight. And he says these words. He pens these words from a very broken place of clarity and reality that the man he hoped he would be somehow has got lost on life's journey. He's the king that everyone sings about, but somehow heaven has become silent. And where the sound of God's voice was very prominent at the beginning of David's life, suddenly it's become apparent that heaven feels like brass. Ever been there? And if you haven't, maybe next week's your opportunity. So he writes these words. I love these words. They're a song, if you like, to help us consistently think of God in the most glorious way. He says in Psalm 51 verses 10 to 13, Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. So I guess, if I'm honest, that most of us want to be successful. I guess if I'm honest that most of us try to be successful. I guess if I'm honest, most of us are here because we want to be better at what we do and more effectual. But actually the Bible tells us that our thinking around that is a little befuddled because those success stories are not based on your eloquence, your excellence, your prowess as an individual. They're simply based on a few things that I think need to be clear to us. So let me go through them for you. I'll be as quick as I can. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. The first thing I want to highlight to you as the gateway to fruitfulness and abundance and therefore effectualness is not self-reliance. In fact, we need to move away from self-reliance. Let me tell you why. Because it simply isn't enough. I don't need to remind you of this because in your quiet moments you will have discovered this. You simply do not have what it takes to be who God has called you to be. And someone should put their hand up somewhere and say, that would be me. Because as we step into true humility, which is not self-effacing, self-beating up or any of those things, it's simply saying, God, this can't happen in the most incredible way whenever I'm relying on my capacity to make that so. And we need to move as people away from self-reliance to God-dependence. Is that not an issue for so many of us? 
in a world where we're trained from the first gasp of breath to accomplish things, to find value and worth and significance in what we do, doesn't that kind of cut across that? But simply, I say to you, as a man who's walked a little longer on the earth than you, I know for a fact that you can't be who you're supposed to be without the one living inside of you, giving you some energy and you some resource to become all that he intentioned you to be. You need to move as quickly as you can. In fact, there's an emergency. There's a bell ringing in the spirit realm over the church of Jesus Christ that says, come away from some of the paraphernalia and the patterns of trying to be positionally successful or to be viewed from the world as some kind of person that has some form of spiritual reality and come to a place of utter dependency. Get down. Kneel down in the presence of your God. Not in false humility, but in the posture of submission and humility to the one who is simply the most glorious, interactive God we or any human being will ever have the chance of encountering. You need to step away from you. You need to get out from under you as quickly as you can. You're simply not all that. And someone should have the guts to tell you. Now, that's not me telling you you're bad, so please don't mishear what I'm saying to you. You, God considers you good enough to hang out with. I'm catching up. Others are following suit. But this that we do, it doesn't change because of you. It changes because of him. This that we desire, this that we prophesy, this that we dream about, a world transformed won't happen because you're clever or smart or have a formula or go to a course or come out to a conference. It's simply the Spirit of God who can do the things of God. And we get to partner with Him. God could do it all without you. And sometimes I'm really surprised that He even saved you in the first place. And some people are still shocked that you're still saved. Some people are horrified that they think I might be saved. But the reality is he chose you from the foundations of the earth. You didn't choose him. You just accepted the invitation. And that invitation wasn't to self-reliance. It was to God dependence. You can't save yourself. A dead man can't resurrect himself. It's but the God of life that takes the initiative to come into our hearts and to our lives. And if this started, please don't clap. I don't have time. If this started with God's initiative to reveal to you his nature and character, Please keep it that way because there's a clue. There's a clue of how we're meant to live, how we're meant to operate in this world. Where do you come from, London? London's not going to get saved because we have more lighting. We have great technology. We've tried all of the things that the world taught us would make us more relevant and more significant and not one of them works. It's time to move away from some of the paraphernalia and start to depend on the one who is the one who promises. It's time to step away from the car crash we call the church and start to understand that God wanted to build a kingdom. Because some things that we think are priorities are not priorities to him at all. So who's up for a little God dependency? And who would like to trade, trade up if you like, your self-reliance for God dependence? Create in me a clean heart of God. I can't do this. I can't be this. It's not in my power. It's not in my remit. It's not in my armory to become who I'm supposed to be. And so I stand here in dependency. And I say, God, come. 
come, fill my life. Come, fill my mind with glorious thoughts from heaven. Come, give me strategy to unlock the destiny of humanity. Come, Spirit of God. You know, I love the phrase that Jesus says, you do not have because you do not ask. And I think we do not ask because we think we have. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who utterly know they are dependent on God's goodness. Blessed are those who give up the stuff that they think matters for the things that God says really are important. And it's time for us to think differently about what God's priorities actually are. I believe it's time for us to invite God to be who He is in a world where we're trying to prove who we are. To be people of a different spirit, with a different mindset, with a different priority. So David models it for us. To get from the promise to the fulfillment in the book of Revelation, something needs to change in us. We simply can't get there in our own strength. So who would like to grow up into that? Who would like the upgrade in this season of your life to be more dependent on the power, the spirit, the purposes, and the person of God? Who would like to step away from human effort and reside and abide in the finished and completed work of the God who saved humanity? Who would like to live gloriously the adventure of impossibility? You cannot do that if it's just you that's leading the show. You simply need to surrender and submit and invite and inquire and release yourself from the snare of being human alone. So the second thing I notice is this. We're moving, as I say, from self-reliance to God dependency. The second thing David begins to highlight for us is something that I think I probably struggle the most with. He says, renew a right spirit within me. And I just want to highlight to you something I learned through huge mistakes. You see, I always thought that what I said was important. And actually, I couldn't be further from the truth. Who I am is what really counts. So let me ask you this question. In a world where externals are so valuable and prioritized by so many, is it not possible that the church of Jesus Christ is not called to compete with that, but actually to see things from a completely different perspective? What if God's priority was not what happened on the outside of your life, what you said or what you did, but what actually is happening on the inside of your life? Because you do know if I turn up here and I've got measles, but I am brilliant at talking about mumps, and I touch you and slime you with my saliva, you ain't going home with measles. You're going home with mumps. You see, the infection of the internal aspects of your life have far more weight and power and influence on the things around you than you first imagined. That's why we're called to be gatekeepers. God has invited us to think a little bit more differently about the things that are his priority. You see, even the scriptures tell us he does not look at the outward appearance. It says in Ecclesiastes, the race is not to the swift or to the strong. There are some things in our culture that have become our priorities and they were never God's intentionalities for our lives. The Bible says that God looks at the heart. He looks at who you are when no one's looking. He looks at the things you think about and the things you dream about and the disappointments and the disillusionments and the aspirations of your soul. He examines the fine detail of your internal world. Don't you think you should give it a shot? 
if it's something he prioritizes. The Bible says that we're to get our own house in order. I love people in church because they think they can change the world and they can't change themselves. (laughs) Someone should tell them. The real power is not external. The real power is internal. And if you don't believe me, go into the Gospel of Matthew and look at chapter 6 where the disciples come to Jesus and they have a question because they're really curious. They say things like this. Jesus, what is so different about you? You kind of live from a different place. Now we've watched the way you've handled yourself. We've watched the things you've said. We've watched the power that comes out of your life. We've watched the compassion that you demonstrate to the most marginalized and broken individuals. We've watched, Jesus, that everywhere you put your foot, the kingdom of God turns up and demonstrations and manifestations of God's power are evident in all that you do. You are absolutely breathtaking. What is it about you, Jesus? What do you do that we could learn from? And Jesus begins to to open up his heart and he gives to us what we have called the Lord's Prayer but actually it's principles of living it's the way that he related to God that he's trying to demonstrate to his disciples to say you too can access what I have access to and notice at the beginning before we even get to what we call the Lord's Prayer Jesus says something of interest to us he says you have seen that the Pharisees and the scribes have a spirituality that's very visible Isn't that the truth? Anybody up for the Pharisee of the Year Award this year? Don't we sometimes think that the external is sometimes more important than the internal? Have you ever tried to be spiritual for the benefit of those around you? Tell the truth. It's only helpful if we tell the truth. Jesus says, that's what they think produces what you see in me, but it doesn't, clearly. He says, their reward is already here on earth. But when you pray, when you come into communion, which is your birthright as a child of God, when you come into your place of connectivity with the God of creativity, do some things like this. Go into your room. But Pastor Simon, that doesn't sound like great ministry. (laughs) That doesn't sound like affecting the world. That doesn't sound like changing the city. No, it doesn't. But it's the place where it begins. And here's what Jesus says. And when you go into your room, close the door. In other words, don't let the culture demand of you how you respond in this moment. Learn to abide. Learn to reside in the realities of relationship with God. And as you do that, when you come out of that, everything will change. So let me ask you this question. If God gave you 100% anointing, what was it for? Was it for the lost? Was it to change the world? What if we used more of it to develop our intimacy and connectivity with God? What if that was what it was for? That we would find him and love him and know him in such a powerful way that when we stood in any place of influence, the kingdom manifested. Lives were changed. Chains fell off. Hearts were engaged with God. People were set free. And I wonder if we change the 20% of what we think is our intimate relationship with God to an 80% reality, would we find that the 20% had far more effectualness on the world around us? I hazard a guess the anointing was not given to you so you could stand on a platform and pontificate eloquently. The anointing was given to you so that you may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that somehow you would become like him and the world would see that God is real and amongst the people of the earth. That anointing is not given to pray for the sick. That anointing is given to you to know him. 
to know his heart and his mind and his ways and his purposes here on the earth. And it's not enough anymore for us to stand in those places of influence in powerless disarray when we have access through intimacy and connectivity to the God of glory that designed humanity and will transform society. All of creation is waiting for you to go into your room and to close the door. They're not waiting for you to preach. They're not waiting for you to teach. They're not waiting for you to lead. They're waiting for you to take up your governmental sonship anointing in the presence of the one who calls you his child. And the battle for intimacy rages over humanity and the church has lost its clarity about the certainty that we can do nothing apart from the God who abides in you and me. And Jesus said, apart from me, you will do very little. And wasn't he right? So David says, I can't do this. I'm moving from self-reliance to God dependence. And I've learned this. It's not about the people. It's about the presence. It's about the person that I'm called to be in relationship with. If you spend more time with God, you will have more effect on people. I have a friend. He has a huge church and a very significant international ministry. And his greatest problem right now in his life is that he has to speak publicly. And I overheard him one day say to God, as he stood before an arena of thousands of people, he said, God, is it not enough for you that we meet in my bedroom anymore? Now to there lies the possibilities of God in a man's life when his priority is not the people. It says in the Old Testament that the priests of the Lord ministered between the altar and the porch. We spend so much time on our porch Our altars lie in ruin. It's time to come home to where the power is. It's time to come home to where the purpose is. It's time to come home to where the person is that invited us into relationship. I simply can't recommend it enough. And some of you are looking at me like I'm swearing, but I simply can't recommend it enough. So when you stand in a place of influence, don't think that we don't know where you've been. Because we do. And if you've been with him, we'll feel it. Because the room will fill up with possibility. Hearts will be transformed. Minds will be engaged. Lives will be absolutely devoted and in delight in God. Anybody up for that upgrade? Now, can I just say to you, I don't like beating people up about prayer. Because prayer isn't something that we do. It's someone that we are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't do prayer We simply make our life a prayer to him, an act of devotion and delight. Worship God in all that we are and all that we do. Ephesians 6.18 says this, pray or otherwise be in the spirit at all times. So this is not a prayer meeting. It's not even a prayer time. This is an attitude of heart that says, I know I can't do this without God, but I have a relationship with someone who can help me. Have you met my Jesus, the God of glory? Are we okay for time? You losing the will to live? I think mine left about 20 minutes ago. We have our promise that God will be with us to transform us to the people that get to the place 
where we love not our lives even unto death. We overcome all kinds of obstacles. In fact, those obstacles become opportunities when you have those realities in your heart and you start to see the glory of God move in such a powerful way. But we're going to trade what is our self-reliance to God dependence. We're going to upgrade our thinking from the kind of place where we think that the external is more important than the internal. The third thing I want to say to you is this, that God has provided for you everything necessary for you to be transformed into his likeness. You don't need a single other thing. That was my point. It's called the Holy Spirit. Who's my friend and my lover and the person I can't live without. And so, because of who I am and because of what I haven't got, he's all that I can offer you. And so I don't come to you with persuasive words or arguments, but I hope I come in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, for my life is utterly transformed by God. And I didn't even want it to. Do you know what I'm saying? In spite of my protests, he kept his promise to me. Can anybody identify with that? It simply is true. That God, by the power of his Holy Spirit inside of you, makes you look like Jesus. Makes you sound like Jesus. He makes you see the things Jesus sees. He makes you hear what the Spirit of God is leading the church to. You do know you're not on your own anymore. How many of us love the thought that we're peculiar people? I know some of us had the mandate before we became Christians. What does it mean to be a peculiar person? We're a hybrid of heaven on earth. We're man and God in the same thing. God lives inside of you. It says the fullness of the Godhead dwells richly inside of you. You'd never know, would you, in the church, that that was the truth of who we are. We are God incarnate. We are the Word made flesh. The evidence here on earth that God can transform humanity. We're the first fruits of a whole new breed of people that are emerging on the earth. And the only way we can live now is not in human strength, but in God reliance. You can't heal anyone. You can't save anyone. You didn't get healed or saved yourself because of you. You got healed or saved because the Spirit of God ministered to you. Why don't we become the Spirit's friend? Why don't we look in our lives for what he's doing and partner with him? I love this phrase. God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships of his people. I wonder sometimes if I'm holding up the advances of his kingdom because I don't understand I need to partner with this Holy Spirit. To be his friend is to be in connectivity with him, to listen to the sound of his voice, to be led by the Spirit, not just filled with the Spirit. It's not about goosebumps. It's about lives changing. Goosebumps are great, but I can get them from going on a helter-skelter ride. It doesn't mean God is there. It just means my emotions are awakened. So you and I have access to the most brilliant mind on the planet. He's known to me as the Holy Spirit. Why would you not ask? Why would you not inquire? Why would you not partner with him to make heaven a reality in and through your life? 
It's simply breathtakingly stupid to think we can do this without him. Who would like to welcome the one who is invisible but changes everything and makes heaven visible on earth to become their best friend, their soulmate, their greatest priority, their pastor, their counselor, their leader, their prophet, their apostle. Who would like to welcome the Holy Spirit to the greater places of advancement in their heart and life? Please don't have a theology about him without the reality of him. That's like going to a restaurant and eating the menu. It's not enough. As good as it is, we like the food. David says, don't take the one person who started everything and kept me where I needed to be and rescued me from where I ended up. Don't take him from me because without him, I can't be who you've called me to be. And then he says this, and this is my final thought. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. See, I think one of the things that we really need to pay attention to is what we call outreach or mission. Because we are the message. And when you turn up and you're massively dysfunctional and the only thing you've got to offer is you, it's no wonder people don't want it. You don't want it yourself. But for those who have come to a place of God dependence and not self-reliance, for those who are partnering with the Holy Spirit to make all things new and value the interactions between heaven and earth, to those who are inviting God to be the lead of their life, and I love this, we do this in church, and forgive me, I'm going to be really rude, but how dare we sing the Lord is my shepherd when he certainly is not. Because your shepherd is Snapchat. Facebook, the Kardashians. Let's get real about who is shepherding us. And here's what it says, if we allow him to be, if the Lord is my shepherd, I'll find myself in a place where I shall not want. Such will be the fruit of being in relationship with him and submission to his lordship that I will arrive at a place where I find that I have no need. Wouldn't that be cool? It's then, when we find ourselves living like this, that we walk into a room and everything changes. And simply that is what Christianity is meant to look like. Because everywhere Jesus went, everything changed. And it wasn't because he said fancy things or had philosophical ideologies. It because the power of God and the presence of God was his current reality. Did he not say these words? Listen in. I only do what the Father shows me to do. Gosh, how liberating is that? In a world where everybody has expectation on you, including you. I only do. Here's the secret. I only do what the Father has shown me to do. Where did he find that? He went into his room and he closed the door. So stand with me, please. Jesus.
love you, Jesus. You are my life and my song, Jesus. You are my salvation and my hope and my peace. I'm fascinated with you. I find myself consistently wondering, in spite of the years I've walked with you, who are you? Who are you that you love the way you love? That your heart is so large that it encompasses the whole of our planet and beyond? Who are you that could give yourself so sacrificially for people who could not care less about you? And who are you that trades up your beauty for my ashes? Who are you, Jesus? You are mystery and your majesty. You bring chaos to our orderly world because you invade it with heaven's priorities. We no longer can fit you in. You're simply too big, too grand, too beyond us. We have not got a frame of reference to understand your majesty and your glory. And simply we lift our hands in your presence and we say, come God, write your story. Fill our hearts with gladness. Abide in us, God, to such a point where we find ourselves fascinated in every environment we're in because your kingdom is about to explode. Signs, wonders, miracles, manifestations of your kingdom's priorities. And so we're trading up today, God. We're going to be brave people courageous people who are moving away from the human tendency for self-reliance. We're going to lean on the goodness of God. We're going to trust in your invitation because you who began this have promised you will finish it. And you have said over our lives that such will be your work by your spirit in us that we'd find ourselves loving you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Lord, we trade striving for abiding. We trade works for wonder. We trade duty for delight. I don't know who you are, but when I pray, I usually speak. So let us open our mouths and begin to ask the Lord to come and touch our hearts in a fresh way where we could live independently of ourselves to the point where we are utterly reliant on God himself. Just lift your voice. Just begin to sing. Just begin to worship him. Just begin to encounter him. So cleanse my heart, Lord God, of all of that human stuff that gets in the way of all of that God stuff. Father, I give you permission to access all areas of who I am so that I can live in the fullness of joy because if your heart is joyous, so also should mine. If you are expectant, then I need to be expectant too. And in fact, God, it's the work of your spirit in me to produce that kind of expectancy. So I invite you to come. I move away from the efforts that I make, Lord God, not because I'm lazy, but because I know that they don't work fully to bring me to the places of glory that you promised me. And so, Father God, I trade them and I say, God, come. Come, Lord. For you want to change the world, but you're starting with me. 
You want to transform society, but I'm the first sign to humanity of a whole new world order. Come, Lord Jesus. And we as a body of people repent on behalf of a group of churches that we love and delight in that may have at times lost sight of what this all is about, Father. And it isn't about the crowds. It's about the King. It's not about the miracles. It's about you, the majesty. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, come, come abide in me. Create in me a heart that looks like yours. And God, make my spirit steadfast. I want to use every ounce of intentionality to become like you. I want to use the 80% of the 100% anointing to grow in relationship with you. Because my countenance and what I carry is my influence. Not the words I speak or the things I do, but the person I am in private with you. And that which is happening between us in the secret place will be revealed in the public domain. Jesus, you lived like that. You loved like that. You delighted to be in your Father's presence. And when you came forth from that, you shone with the glory of heaven here on earth. People said about you and the people that hung out with you, there's something different about these men and women. Let that be our testimony, God. Let that be our reality. Get up Would you lift your hands in his presence? Could I ask you to do that, please? Holy Spirit, could you maybe say this with me? Would you be bold enough and courageous enough to say this with me? Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life. up residence. Fill me to overflowing, God. Let the joy of salvation, the fullness of God, your abiding peace and glory overflow from my human reality, Lord God. Just begin to allow the Spirit of God to engage in His delight, which is to fill you and to align you and to repurpose you so that your priority is Him. And out of that will come all that you desire to see happen around you. Ask Him to help you to know Jesus. Ask him what upgrades are available in this season of your life. Ask him what the Father wants to show you. 
who the Father wants to be for you as you journey this next season that you're going through. Father, we just want to be as highly responsive to you as you are to us. And so we say, come, come Holy Spirit. Release us from the snare of religion and invite us to the place of relationship. Holy Spirit, set us free from trying to be guarded with you. We do not have to be guarded with you. You have loved us from the foundations of the earth. And Lord, we don't even have an excitement for you sometimes. But Holy Spirit, you are the most enthusiastic person I know in my life. You constantly believe for greater things for me. I want to be like that in relationship to you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Just lift your hands right up in his presence. Submit to the desire of God's heart today to fill you afresh because that is his heart because the Holy Spirit will do in you and through you what you could never achieve by human effort and he will cause you to be so in love with Jesus that everywhere you place the soles of your feet that ground he will give you he is the master class of world transformation thank you Holy Spirit up a generation, God, who have the key of David, Lord. Raise up a generation, Lord God, whose heart longs for the king more even than the kingdom, Lord. Raise up a generation whose passion is to be in your presence, to feast at your table, to delight in your goodness, God. Raise up a generation, Lord, a peculiar generation. People who are not political, but people who are artists, Father God, who paint the picture of God to the world around them. Release your creative power, Holy Spirit, to release us from the snares of mediocrity. For God, you are simply breathtaking. You are glorious. You are majestic. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to cause us to rise into the fullness of our destiny in Christ. To be men and women of the Spirit of God. Men and women filled with the Spirit. Men and women moving in the power of the Spirit. And men and women who are in awe of all that the Spirit can do in and through us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. This is your church. These are your people. Everything about Jesus that you know, Holy Spirit, will you make it available to us? When we read the Bible, which is the word of truth, will you make it alive in us, God? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs to know who you are, Holy Spirit, that I may keep in step with the purposes and the person of God through the days of my life. Give me the key of David, Lord. Now I'd love you just to put your hand on your friend next to you. If you don't know who they are, this is an opportunity to maybe say hello. 
what if moving from self-reliance to God-dependence? What if prioritizing the internal instead of the external? What if allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way fully in our lives would produce something around you that was so breathtaking you would spend the rest of your life trying to come to terms with the power of God that's made visible? What if your community and your youth work and your family and your pastor and those that God has given you as family right now didn't need you to get cleverer or smarter about all that you do, but simply needed you to operate in humility in the power and the glory of the one who resides in you? What if your community is waiting for the miracle of you to come as salt and light and bring hope and peace and heaven's order to a world full of chaos? And what if you as the generation that I believe will see the return of Jesus Christ would be raised up with glorious anticipation that in spite of all that we see around us, we know that our Redeemer lives and he's coming back for his people. What if we were the prophetic generation that loved not their lives even unto death and gave up all manner of things just to know the power of the resurrection and the glory and the fellowship with Christ that will lead us to a place of joy in spite of the suffering that we would experience here on the earth? And what if persecution was not optional just for people in Syria, but actually was coming to our land and one day the squeeze on us will produce the reality to us that God is who he says he is and he's doing what he promised he will do. And what if the preparation of the Holy Spirit was not just to fill churches with people, but to send the people of the church out into highways and byways, out into the art community, out into the world of music, out into prose, out into politics, out into education, out into the manifestation of the glorious things of God that are awaiting the people of God in society. And what if our greatest power will not be demonstrated in our singing, but it will be demonstrated in our bringing of a kingdom that changes everything in its wake. And what if you were called for such a time as this to be a carrier of such a beautiful gift known to us as God Almighty incarnate in your ordinary everyday life. For that, that's worth getting out of bed for. For that, that's worth keeping my hands off someone else's body until it's such time as I'm allowed to do. For that, that's worth coming out to a gathering like this. Not because people are saying clever things, but because I'm called by Him to a place of intimacy and connectivity that changes everything in my life. I think when we live like that, people start to notice. And they'll say, And this is me prophesying over you. Surely, (laughs) these people have been with God. Surely, they know God. Surely, they've been touched by His kindness. Surely, they've been ruined by His intimacy. Surely, their (laughs) tragic lives have been transformed into gifts and treasures that change humanity. Surely, God is amongst us. Surely he is. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of talking to these wonderful young people. I pray, God, that they will run faster and harder and experience more than I ever have in the whole course of my life. And I ask you humbly, God, let your kingdom come. Please, Jesus, let your will be done here on earth as it is.